Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Eccentric, the makers of the K-Box and the new K-Pulley. Guys, flywheel training's really grown in popularity of late, and although it's something that's been around for a while, the simple reason that it's grown in popularity is because it works. We've been lucky to have a K-Box in our weight room for the past three years, and we've seen some really great things when it comes to improving the athlete's ability to change direction, and then looking at our return to play protocols with different lower body injuries with the student athletes. The love-hate relationship that everyone has with the K-Box is now just going to grow more with the addition of the K-Pulley. The ability to do standing presses, pulls, rip-throughs, and knee drive exercises is just going to be another arsenal to our training and another addition to the love-hate relationship that our student-athletes have with the awesome tools that come from Eccentric. Go ahead and hop over to Eccentric.com today to check out what they have. Guys, I can't recommend it enough, and I guarantee you won't be disappointed not just with the products, but with the awesome customer service that Eccentric provides. Hey, everybody. If you enjoy the podcast and the content that it provides, make sure you hop over and check out the all-new Strength Coach Network. The Strength Coach Network is a combination of the CVA SPS community and the Rugby Strength Coach community, bringing you what is sure to be the Internet's leading resource for continuing education for strength and conditioning professionals. Combining these two resources has allowed us to bring some of the best content from some of the best minds in the world together for your one-stop shop to better improve the continuing education for not just yourself, but your entire staff. Bringing together all of the lectures from the Rugby Strength Coach community, along with the lectures exclusively done for the Central Virginia Sport Performance community, and all the lectures performed at the Central Virginia Sport Performance Seminar, make this an absolute must for performance coaches around the world. The world-class lectures at the Strength Coach Network are not all that you'll see as well. The discussion in the forums and the support and the career guidance from some of the top practitioners in the world, from people all over the world, makes this an absolute must and a great place for you to network, learn, and grow as a performance professional. So hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com and use the code CVASPS, that's C-V-A-S-P-S, to get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. We're sure you're going to find great value in the Strength Coach Network and are really excited to have you involved. So hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com and use the code CVASPS to check it out today. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today, guys, I have the absolute pleasure of sitting down and talking cricket with Darren Vaness. Guys, this is a uh, Cricket's a new sport for me, so so breaking this down with Darren was, was pretty awesome. He, he starts out sharing with us how he got into the sport and then really dives into it with how he's evaluating these guys, you know, the, the challenges that he sees with the schedule and how he ends out making accommodations to the training and rehabilitation, not just based off their, their schedule, but also the vast array of training ages of athletes he gets to work with. Um, he then really dives right into programming and, and how things change as players age focus uh, as the focus of the program and what he's looking at specifically when it comes to making sure they're healthy first and then building on performance and again how they work around their match schedule with these guys and, and you know and how they they do work based on some common injuries that you see within the sport. This is really an awesome talk, guys. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. Let's get right to it. Darren, thank you so much for spending the timeless today. Absolute pleasure, mate. Yeah, Was it? Yeah. Oh, dude, I'm so excited for this because <laughs> we're going to talk about something that I think a lot of the listeners in America are going to be like, what? Um, 
<laughs> but it, you're rolling there in, in, in cricket. So let's talk first. How did you get into it? How did you get to the club you're in? And then let's talk about what you're doing out there because this is an interesting scenario, I think. Okay, so so I've been in, this is my this is my twenty third season in the sport now. So twenty three years in, in cricket in professional sport. Um, got into it basically. Uh, got to know a guy uh, who, who, who at the time was a player. Uh, talking to him about uh, physical performance and moving things forward and things that I took for granted that potentially back in the mid nineties weren't really being done in the sport. Uh, talking about other things, things like sports nutrition and you know basic. F- levels of physicality and uh, he then became the head coach of, a, of another club that I um, that's uh, sort of southwest England uh, Somerset and uh, so he, he took over as head coach and he asked me asked me to go down and 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 work there doing a, a combined role you know sort of a bit of sports therapy bit of strength and conditioning uh, which over the years evolved into you know a full-time S&C role uh, and I've been doing that ever since and then um, I got a call from uh, from a rival club uh, last year, and basically it was a it was an offer I couldn't refuse. Uh, so I've made the move from southwest to southeast, and I'm now in in Surrey in London, um, so central London, just down the road from Houses of Parliament and Big Ben, and uh, yeah, biggest club in the country. I love it. So then, now getting into the club. Let's talk about what you're working with. You've got a pretty wide array of athletes when it comes to age and experience levels. So let's yeah. first talk about the setup at the club, and then let's get into how that training breaks down. Okay, so so yeah, so the setup you, you've got about uh, anywhere, but you can have any anywhere between fifteen and and twenty five to thirty professional players on the squad. So not necessarily a huge squad, and, and again, depending on. Uh, the, the situation that any club will have. There's 18 counties, so at the mo- as it stands, there's 18 professional clubs, and then you move down to minor counties, so uh, a, a tier down, a semi-professional to a certain degree. Um, so where we are, you, you can have normally around about 25 professional um, professional lads on on the squad, on the staff. Uh, age range, yeah, that can that can flip between 17 to 18 through to yeah, potentially early 40s. Uh, so there's a huge, huge uh, spread across the uh, age groups because it, because the game, there's there's definitely a, a bias to the skills. People used to talk about cricket being a skills-based sport. And I disagree with that simply because of the f- fundamentals of physicality that you see day to day. The lads will you know sprint, dive, twist, turn, jump, throw, and at any given opportunity for up to six hours a day, four or five days a week. So there's a huge physical component to it, but there's no doubt that a lot of the guys are measured on you know the runs that they score or the wickets that they get when they bowl. So it's definitely a skills bias sport. So having that skills bias, as they get older, they get cannier, they get smarter, they get wiser, they understand their game, they learn their craft, and um, and they can still function at a high level. So huge, huge spread of uh, of ages, lots of different variables. Yes, and then the huge variable that a lot of American coaches right now are probably sitting here saying is, you said how many hours a game? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's pretty unique to the sport. There's no doubt about that. So yeah, a championship game which we will play, you know, probably around about 14 games uh, in a season. So seasons run from April to September, uh, up to 14 games uh, of that format. Then we will play a shorter format 
and then a third even shorter still format so we're do, we our games get broken down by overs to a certain degree so uh, a bowler will bowl six balls at a batter uh, that is one over so in a, in a championship game uh, you'd have you know 96 overs roughly in in a day and what that will that will go over four days then we play a one day format which is 50 overs per side so you play 50 overs and of you know, you're in the field for 50 and then you'll bat for 50. And then we have a 2020 format, which is at the moment probably the most visible across the world stage and the most popular um, uh, short version of, of the game. Um, gets a huge amount of publicity ac- across the world. Very big in, in, uh, in India, in Australia, obviously here in England and New Zealand, big as well. So there's, um, it's, it's a big, big game. Uh, a lot of the games, have, we've got plenty of games played in different different franchises now as well, Abu Dhabi and uh, UAE. So there's uh, lots of opportunity to be exposed to that format of the game. It's pretty intense. Yeah, it sounds it. Now, when you're dealing with a 22 to 23 year age swing as well, and looking at what you just said, it is a four-day match. That's a lot of... Uh, parameters to work around when it comes to the physical development so let's talk about how Darren sets that up like what are you looking at with your with your guys how are you building these teams how are you putting things together within in in still keeping the skill-based sport idea if we may so again I mean you'll you do the same thing that any any respectable coach would do you'd sit down and you have a needs analysis of the sport so you look at what are the fundamentals what do you see day to day and what you'll see is you'll see plenty of repeat sprints uh, they'll either be uh, a change of direction and then a straight line sprint of varying velocities um, you'll see a 180 degree turn so if, you, if you've got the batters repeated accelerations as late as possible decelerations to maintain high speed 180 turn and back again. So you'll see multiple scenarios of that. Then uh, the throwing, the diving, the twisting, the throw, uh, the, the the bowling, all all of those factors. You, you're trying to make sure that you're covering those the the general physical characteristics that are the fundamentals of the sport, and then the individual scenarios to make sure that you're addressing the uh, injury prevention aspects of of, of the game and the, the lads that you're dealing with. So again, you've You've got your best case scenario. You've you've got your ideal ideal spectrum, and you'll have uh, with, with the younger lads that are coming into their peak. You'll be building them towards what you what you see as a, an ideal situation for the for the sport. You know, so that could be good high quality um, maximal strength. You know, basic fundamental movement patterns with high high degrees of uh, of load. You know, the capacity to produce force, um, well balanced, well structured. As a physical specimen, tick all the boxes with the uh, basic criteria that we're looking for. So, good conditioning, plenty of repeat sprint ability, good explosive strength, good maximal strength, uh, plenty of mobility, good trunk control, shoulder and uh, shoulder girdle, shoulder joint, fantastic control there. All the all the basic fundamentals. Yeah. Now, when you're talking about ticking boxes, when you're looking at max strength and explosive strength in a sport like that, how you would analyze that would be pretty intriguing to me so how do you break those down how do you select what you're evaluating and does that change as these literal ages double through their careers yeah yeah 100 percent. yeah changes significantly so 
I don't think we're, we're, we're any different with our basic fundamental measurements. Uh, if you look at the research, Tim Sushimel, Dr. Tim Sushimel, some outstanding work, the, 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 the data collection that he's put together, the, you know, his um, uh, muscular strength article back in 2016, <clears throat> you know, they're looking at you know, two times body weight in a back squat. Yeah, 100%. So lower limb strength qualities that where you can produce two times body weight. Relative strength is a big factor for us. Um, so the, those relative strength qualities that flag up in research, they're always going to be of interest to me. We're, it's a sport where ground reaction forces for us are quite a significant factor. So um, relative strength is one that I'm always looking at. I, I'm not a fan of, um, of guys carrying too much non-functional mass. Now that that could be, um, you know, but down to a hypertrophy program, and they're, they're carrying too much muscle. If it if it's not relevant to to what they need, then all it's doing is adding stress. If it's adding stress and there's there's not enough payoff, then uh, the the cost to benefit ratio is is swinging too far too far away from me. And then the other thing we can look at is you know, non-functional mass. We need these boys relatively lean. Uh, we don't need too much. We use the ISAC eight type protocol. Um, so yeah, maximum, maximum from an ECB, our governing body, they're looking at no more than, than 80 and yeah, 80 millimeters total with the eight sites. And we'd be looking to, you know, have that much nearer to 70 or 60 realistically. So lots of ground reaction force, lots of stress. So again, if we can, if we can figure out a way to, to control and manage that, uh, then that's, that's a, a big part of the programming. Then, if, if if we're talking if we're talking um, explosive qualities as well, you know, we're, we're starting to bring in Olympic lifting derivatives as well, and and, and those those aspects of, of training. So they're they're a big part of big part of our, me- our measurements tool tools too. As the, as they move further further on through through their age, you, again it's about making sure that they they're still capable of doing as much as they possibly can. For as long as they possibly can, so there's no doubt that you, it's professional sport. You pick up injuries as you go, and one of the things that we'd be looking at is balancing that with the need, the needs of the athlete. If injuries have accumulated, then it's that in, injury prevention strategy, whilst also maintaining enough that they can still contribute to the squad. I love it. So let's keep running that way. So how do you then determine then? Because of these injuries, what other physical evaluations are you looking at? You were talking about the shoulder girdle um, and things like that. Like, what are you breaking down based on injury history in order to make sure that Darren's driving these guys the right way? Yeah, I mean, again, with the shoulder, we'll, we'll see we'll see similar things to to the the baseball scenario with uh, your fielders and your pitchers. So we'll start to see shifts. Uh, with dominant and non-dominant arm, you start to see change in uh, glenohumeral range, uh, scapular control uh, with the dominant arm again. So, again, making sure that they can function completely, making sure that we don't lose any of the physical qualities whilst accepting that there will be a transition from the non-dominant arm. You see those movement patterns change uh, and making sure that we're addressing all of those basic functions. So something like simple scapular control as well. You, you, we, we, need to, we need to address the, those qualities all the, all the way through. If the, if, the shoulder, if the scapula is functioning well and the shoulder girdle function well, functions well, 
then nine times out of ten, you'll we'll see that shoulder joint coping with the with the stresses. As long as we're balancing the common sense aspects of internal and external rotation, and the external rotators are functioning comfortably, then they'll cope efficiently with the deceleration and the stress uh, that comes from repeated throwing in repeatedly crazy positions and awkward situations, whether it's off balance on one leg, you know, from a from a, a a position within 10 meters of the of the stumps that they're aiming for or the fielder up to anything up to sort of 30 or 40 meters away so lots of again lots of variables but if we can have a healthy level of symmetry and balance then we're, we're stacking the odds in the guy's favor i love it now the next thing that kind of gets in the way of all the physical preparation is how you need to handle that week when you're looking at four or five days out of the week being matches so let's yeah. talk about that weekly breakdown like how do you handle that and make sure these boys are still improving um yeah it it's not a perfect scenario there's no doubt about that but strength and, and guys involved in physical prep how many times do you actually get that anyway especially in team sports the, those opportunities are few and far between and in cricket in the uk we, we don't see a best case scenario so it is what it is. The fixture list is what you've got. It's not going to change, and that's going to be the constant. So then what we're left with is how can, how can we maximize that? So as I said, with, with many, many uh, weeks of that season, we'll have a four-day game, and then there's a potential for a recovery day, possibly a travel day, maybe a training day. So the ideal scenario, if we've got two days prior to a home game, uh, two days out, we'd probably get a lift in. So they'll, they'll be doing some uh, a fair amount of skills. So they'll do their skills work, and then they'll hit the gym and get an opportunity to do um, yeah a reduced volume uh, lift session. So once we're into the season and we're out of the off season, once we're into the season, it's we're always looking for that minimal effective dose. So what's the least that I can do that gives me what I'm looking for? Uh, if we're doing that, then Every, every spare amount of energy and every spare bit of energy is geared towards skills and the game, which is and, and recovery, which is the key target. So then that'll be that'll be two days out, and then 24 hours out, we probably do some uh, some high speed work. Try, always trying to make sure that we get some you know protective qualities for the hamstrings as as a you know first and foremost option. The hamstrings injuries, you know, they're they're high in their game. Uh, that and stress fractures of the spine for for the bowlers they're they're two big factors so if we if we address the soft tissue area that's one that to a certain degree we can look at preventing if we're minimizing soft tissue injury risk then we're stacking the odds in the guy's favor of being repeatedly available for selection um having a consistent squad having a team that the uh, the coach wants to pick rather than he's forced to pick then that's that's what's going to win trophies at the end of the day when we include high skill qualities. So some high speed um, high speed running, a couple of hundred meters, and then um, mixed in with some um, some skills again. And then game time is game time. If the if it's rain affected or we've got some recovery slots available or we've got windows of opportunity, we could get some some work done. Maybe some of the guys uh, do some pre-activation stuff. So there's an op- another opportunity to expose them to some quality lifting. But if that's not if that's not the case and that isn't the opportunity, then we take those two days as our primary factor. Sensational. 
You touched on something there real quick, glanced over it. Let's talk about the bowlers now. Okay. Is that overextension with throwing what leads to those stress fractures? That that intrigues me. Being a swimming guy, you know, there's yeah. a couple events that you see a lot of spondies in, so that just that caught yeah. me. So selfishly, I'd like to dive down that rabbit hole. Yeah, so what what do, what do you see in swimming? Spondies, especially backstroke and butterfly. Yeah, okay. So, um, yeah, so the uh, stress on the pars. Yeah, yeah so, 100%. Yeah, so pars defect um, and either a stress response, partial fracture or full fracture. That's that's what we commonly see, particularly in the lads under the age of 24. So where we've still got, you know, we're still waiting for full bone uh, full bone maturity, that area, it's a high risk. So what we've got, it normally flags up in extension and rotation. So if we've got extension and rotation, it's that sheer stress. And the pars, it's not designed to be loaded. If it was, it'd be bigger. <laughs> so we, we, again, we've found another way of loading an area that it's not comfortable, but that's, that's, the, that's the nature of the beast and that's what we do. So yeah, it's a difficult one. Uh, there's no doubt that from a biomechanical point of view, we can put our guys in the best um, best positions. We've found that over the years, by um, better measurement of bowling mechanics, we can make sure that we're, again, stacking the odds in the, in the guy's favour by trying to maintain uh, high-quality positions and minimise le- there was levels of counter-rotation, you know, sh- hip and shoulder separation being discussed, degrees of side flexion again. So that's where the S&C started to develop over you know over the last decade to 15 years um upper body mass is something that flags up for me as well you know uh, a common one if, if we've got some significant lat development for example lots of guys do you know we're doing chin-ups and bits and pieces like that but if we're also alternate uh, altering their body composition too much then there's the potential to shift the biomechanics of the bowling arm if we do that and then you, you end up uh, altering the biomechanics of the spine as an, as an example, if we're adding a quarter of an inch to, to their lats, then that's going to change the arm path. If it changes the arm path, then we need more side flexion and trunk flexion to make sure that the release point is still at the same. Uh, so then you're altering spinal, spinal loading patterns then. Other than that, the only way we can do it is paying attention to workloads. So if we look at Tim Gabbett's research with acute chronic workload ratios, there's no doubt that that's been a huge factor for us over the, over the last few years making sure that we're avoiding spikes and you know anything beyond that sort of 1.5 times previous loading there's no doubt that that flags up for us you know, so anything beyond 150 percent in that sort of shoot short you know, acute period that flags up as a concern and we know that if that happens yeah we may get away with it get away with it but we know also know that we need to be on a, a bit more of a high alert over the next four weeks and there's there's risk of injury there but if we're talking, if we're going back to the pars issues and the and the pars defects, then again we're we're in a situation now where there's more information there. Um, there's less surgeries happening, uh, which I don't think is a bad thing after seeing the amount of surgeries that were actually successful through the 90s. There were few and far between. There weren't many lads that actually came through and continued a full and prosperous career. Um, so at least now with the management, we've got a high degree of return to performance there with shutdown sensible return to loading, sensible return to full performance. But it's a common problem with our seamers. I, I can imagine that. So now when you're talking about load monitoring, how are you guys tracking that? Is that pitches or bowls? Is that matches? Is that 
lit, like how are you actually breaking down what their training load or workload is as a as a bowler? Yeah, I mean, again, each county has its own format, but overall, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that I could be safe in saying that we'll be addressing uh, total overs bold. So we'll be looking at uh, training loads as well as match loads. And then we'll be tracking those. Uh, so each individual day, we'll be looking at their, their seven-day loads, their 28-day loads. And now we're starting to look beyond that as well and go further. And then we can still go further. Still, in an ideal world, we'd be looking at it, at it and pr having progressive annual loads as well. If we're, if, we're, if we're really sensible, then there's no doubt that we should be addressing that. Because, again, it, with a high degree of players under the age of 24, we're in a situation where we can they can accelerate simply because they make that transition into the first team and all of a sudden their first team you know potential workloads compared to that previous year could be significantly high if they especially if they play all formats so if they play the 4 day game if they play the 50 over game if they play the 20 over game that's a massive potential spike in annual workload. So I think that's another aspect we can go, we can take things deeper still beyond Tim Gabbard's uh, current work and just start to look at that. And if we can map those patterns out, then I think we, we're, we're, again, we're stacking the odds in, in the player's favour and we're, we're going to help for a smoother transition into the professional ranks uh, from the almost like the semi-professional loading uh, workloads of like maybe second team and academy loads from school loads and club cricket. But if we can address those qualities and, and keep it that pathway a little bit smoother, and then once they're up, again, if we can keep them relatively high and have minimal uh, crashes and minimal uh, drops in workloads so that we don't have the you know, the subsequent spike, then again, wave loading by, the, by that point. If we can get through the season having a sensible adjustment of load, then I think that's given us the best opportunity to keep these guys on the park day in, day out. I love it. So then when you're looking at this, how does your programming then differ with the bowlers and the players? Yeah, with the bowlers, if we're looking at, I mean, some of the, some of the counties will have opportunities to collect GPS data as well. So we'll be looking at overall workloads uh, with regards to um, uh, ground covered, so mileage covered. So some of, some of the seamers, they can have anything up to 20Ks a day. Um, a fair bit of that below 15 k's an hour so what you'd normally class as you know low stress and and low load sort of walking jogging that kind of scenario but still see significant daily loads of, of impact so there's no doubt that when you're looking at any any uh, additional um running programming with the seamers it's it's pretty low it's pretty minimal so we're looking at those high speed in intervals and those high-speed interventions just to make sure that we're covering those aspects because uh, they're going to crop up from time to time. But there's no doubt that it's, yeah, again, it's a fine line. When you're dealing with the age spread as well and the potential of previous injury history, it's let's make sure that if we can figure out a minimal effective dose with each individual, then we're looking to address that. But again, it, it depends on previous workloads. If they've had a significant block of time in the field, then we just need to shut them down to a certain degree. Yeah, of course, because, you know, at, at the end of the day, like you were saying earlier, primary objective is always availability. Yeah, 100%. If, if they're not on the park, then 
uh, how the how the hell can you actually look to build uh, a, a, a high quality season? As I said, the coaches, you know, they need to choose the team that they want to choose. We built this squad with a structure in mind, so you have different specialities. So if you've got that design, then you need that available for every match. Now that each time we go to a different ground, you'll have different wickets. So you know some may uh, spin and turn more, some may bounce more. So you your your selection criteria will adjust depending on the opposition and the venue that you're playing at. In the ideal world, in the ideal scenario, what we're always trying to work towards is that is that those are our only variables. If we can make sure that we're doing that and the coach picks the team he wants to pick um yeah we're, we're moving forward we're moving forward significantly so yeah so soft tissue injuries is, is the biggest bugbear and the biggest issue there's plenty of fractures you know there's plenty of impact issues that we have every now and then there's a few concussions uh from uh, impact with the ball again and again you manage those as they occur but it's it's manipulation of the soft tissue injury uh, situation that can make or break a season. Oh, no doubt about it. And I think that understanding that in a situation where you're playing four or five days out of the week and traveling on the sixth, yeah, makes that even a greater challenge. Definitely, definitely. And <clears throat> I, I don't see. Obviously, I, I've I've got I've got a, a method and a, and a format, and you're always manipulating away or to to and from your basic fundamentals and you stick to your philosophy if you've seen it work repeatedly that's your core plan that's your core strategy and then you'll manipulate it for whatever individual is in the squad at any given point but yeah that those basic fundamentals like i said weekly training weekly load regular load regular stress it's you're making sure that we don't have any significant deterioration in any of the physical qualities. So as soon as they're deteriorating physically, then you're shifting their injury risk. So we have to make sure that if I'm not a fan of the phrase um, maintenance that pushes my buttons, if I'm honest, um, because I never really, I've never really been comfortable with that. I've never really seen that you're actually maintaining. You're either getting better or you're not. So I'm, I can cope with aggressive maintenance. I don't, I don't mind that as a, as a, as a terminology and a, uh, and, a, and a phrase. So yeah, okay. If if all we do is not not deteriorate, I'll cope with that. But we're always looking to improve. No doubt, because the day that you're not getting better is the day that's wasted. Yeah, hundred percent. And yeah, but balancing the recovery uh, side of things as well. That's uh, that's a, a, an area that. Yeah, I've, I've, I've probably improved on over the years. You know, previously, you know, when, when you're younger, you, you want to keep the lads working. Let's keep moving forwards. Let's keep moving forwards. And sometimes a, a, a solid day with your feet up is a still a day moving forwards. And the, the more you recognize that and the more you understand that, then I think the more you move forward as a coach. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of value to that. And that's something I've learned over the years too. Yeah, no doubt. And I think that that's something that all of us can be a little better with when it comes to understanding the time away and how that can help them be better and how they're handling that can be a, both a pro and a con. Yeah. I mean, I mean, when you're talking about how they handle that as well, another big factor that, that flags up for us is the psychological load, the mental load and the mental stress. Um, some of the, some of the research I did with, with my, uh, with my master's thesis, where I was looking at the acute effects of mental fatigue and uh, and the repercussions that, that that would have on cricket specific performance and it was huge 
You know, I, have you come across a Stroop test? The, I, uh, I don't think I have. Right, okay. So um, the Stroop test, it's a standardized psychological test. So uh, basically the, the word of a color flashes up on, on a screen, for example, or people use a card. So the word blue comes up, but it's written in green and you have to mark off that it's green. All right, so uh, what you've got, you've, it creates that interference effect. So the, the word pink comes up, but it's written in black. We've got to go for black. Um, so that interference creates a mental stress and a mental load. And it's standardized psychological testing. It's, used, it's been used quite a few times in this kind of research. Uh, Professor Sam Markora uh, is, is, a, is a, a big, big um, uh, developer of this, this kind of this area of research and, the, and mental fatigue in, as a standalone quality. There's been a lot of work done in the uh, ultra-endurance sports, and they can see that there's a significant payoff with training these qualities, but there's also a significant consequence of mental fatigue. By, there's, not, there's not too much research at the moment in field-based sports and team sports simply because of the ability to structure the research. But obviously having the uh, a captive audience that I did have, uh, we, we, can, we could test it. So I did a uh, 30-minute Stroop test. And uh, so for 60 seconds, you, you're testing this and you're testing this and you know, we've got this level of interference. And I did that repeated, repeated for 30 minutes. And then we looked at their repeat sprints. We looked at their uh, reaction times with the Batak-like protocol where it's almost like whack-a-mole where they're pressing the, pressing the light switches. And then we used the yo-yo test, so you know, a, re, you know, a repeat sprint ability test. And we found significant deterioration across the board with all formats. So your decision-making processes are, are, are going uh, downhill rapidly within 15 minutes. That's the thing we found. We managed to figure out that within 15 minutes, we saw significant deterioration as well. So if we can see mental de mental deterioration and change in cognitive stress and cognitive loading and, and that impairing physical performance, if I can see that in 15 minutes, I've got a four-day game going on. I've got repeated two-hour bouts of progressively increased stressful period of concentration and focus and attention. So the mental load of a season is significant. When we add in multiple formats, when we add in contractual issues and all of the other life stresses that come along, trying to keep that, that plate spinning as well. Uh, now that now that ignorance is no longer bliss and I'm aware of that information, that's another factor that we're trying to build into the training protocol. I love it. That's a really interesting challenge to have to add in that. Oh, massively. Particularly with the situation that we often have in, in that early season and that pre-season phase where you know, I've been given free reign and I've, got, I've had a huge uh, block of S&C and then we've integrated the skills aspects and we've been able to develop both of those qualities. And then we may have a few uh, friendly games built up, uh, which could be rain effective because our preseason runs end of March to early April. So there's a possibility of uh, rain affected games, so you don't actually get to do anything. There's a possibility of shorter formats of the game, so you don't do a huge amount. And then we go into our championship format where, as I said, six hours a day, prolonged bouts of concentration, focus and attention. Um, we wonder why we find those early games difficult. So the ideal scenario, to be honest, is being able to find some some fair weather opportunities to actually get some quality um, match play underway. If we can't do that, 
we need to look at other avenues, things like uh, cognitive loading and mental loading and using mental load plus the physical load that we've already built up and having a, almost like a, a total systemic load and building that in. And that could be the way that these things develop as, as time moves on. Not every county can afford to go overseas and play in the United Arab Emirates and, and have a, a couple of weeks in Dubai or South Africa or Australia that it's not available to everybody. So figuring out that quandary uh, could be the next step in, in our development from a sporting perspective. Yeah, I, but those travel trips have got to be a massive weight on the county teams. The, the pre-season trips? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. And again, I'm in a privileged situation uh, here at Surrey where we've got the opportunity that we, we can take, you know, the bulk of the squad. If, if lads are available, then then they're on the tour. Um, and if there's enough counties, then you can you can build an opportunity where you can progressively expose them and we can have that progressive increase uh, as we move into the season. Um, and like I said, that, that's the ideal scenario, but it's not available to everybody. So then it, it becomes a juggling act of what's most appropriate and what's the best case scenario that they have. Yeah, no, I love it. Darren, I think that's a great spot to get us out with. But before we do, where can people find more about what you're doing? Where can they, where can they get in touch with you? Where can they see what you're doing? God, um, yeah, I mean, if the, if there's any interest whatsoever, there's, there's bits and pieces on it on on Instagram. You can find me on Instagram on and Twitter as as Daz Vaness. Um, there'll be a mixture of family stuff and work stuff. I probably need to separate the two for if I'm going to uh, do do stuff a little bit more dedicated to performance. But at the minute. Yeah, you'll either find a picture of the missus and the kids or all, all of a sudden there'll be players doing uh, some performance-related stuff. So there's a mixture of the two. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I mean, get in touch. Send me, send me a private message. Send me a direct message, Twitter or Instagram, if, if they want to talk more and if it's, if it's of any interest to any of you guys over there. Fantastic, brother. Well, truly appreciate the time, Darren. This is, uh, this is fantastic. Thank you so much. Not a problem. Thanks a lot, Jay. All the best. Yeah, man. We'll be in touch real soon. Cheers, champion. Yeah. And a huge thanks to Darren Vaness for spending the time with us today. Guys, open, honest, candid sharing. A guy really teaching me like what cricket is and, and sharing with us how you know to look at these athletes and how he deals with them and, and how he builds them. I mean, the whole idea of playing a game that could last four days, it just blows my mind. So, Darren, keep up the awesome work, brother. Truly appreciate you and truly appreciate spending the, uh, spending the time with us and, and being so open, honored, and candid with us today. And as always, guys, if you did enjoy the talk, please share it through the social media outlet of your choice, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it may be. Again, we are just trying to get the best information out there to all the great coaches that we can. And as always, guys, thank you for everything that you do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.